0: Well, good morning once again. My name is Jonas. I'm delighted to get to share from God's Word with you this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning and you don't have a copy of God's Word, the Bible, we have some ushers who are coming down the aisle. I would love for you to have a copy of the Bible. Uh, you could also follow along on your mobile device. If you pick up one of those Bibles, we're going to end up on page 542 in the book of Proverbs. We find ourselves today in the midst of a series from Proverbs chapter 22 that we're calling Catch 22. And we're looking at different topics that this proverb particularly points out and then building on that, some of the biblical theology around that topic. So we've looked at things like quarreling and debt. We've looked at parenting and reputation and humility. And today, we're gonna look at the topic of wisdom. Here's the principle that I want us to build upon. And it's really simple. It's this. God wants us to be wise. I I believe that with all that I am. I, I believe that God wants us to be wise. Wisdom is such a broad topic and this entire book of Proverbs is found in the genre of wisdom literature It kind of stands out when you're reading the Bible There's these different types of writings you might see poetry or you might see narrative you may see um, Some historical writing or, or even the Gospels stand out the wisdom literature of Proverbs stands out And it joins with it uh, books like Song of Solomon or Ecclesiastes. These are wise collections, anthologies of a sort uh, of what God has brought together. Most simply, wisdom is knowledge applied. It's this idea that we have the ability to discern something or, or to have good sense. So when I say that God wants us to be wise, God wants us to be discerning and to have good sense. Now, you know wisdom, wisdom is all around you. In fact, some of the greatest wisdom we learn is from the mistakes that we make, right? One of my friends was sharing with me this morning his favorite proverb, and it's the one about, if you open your mouth, they'll know you're a fool, but if you close your mouth, they won't know. People will think you're wise. And so it's a dangerous thing to stand before you and speak to you about wisdom. Like Solomon of old, We can gather insight and good sense from a number of sources. And just for fun, I want to share with you some of the sourced wisdom I've discovered. I went to one of the most likely or rather unlikely places of wisdom, that social media giant face space. And I said to that group of people there, can you share with me the wisest advice you've given or received about living in Fargo? And I just want to share with you a little bit of a top five list, okay? So I've gathered wisdom. I want my kids to know what's the wisest way you can live in Fargo. Number one, if you shovel your driveway in the middle of a blizzard, you will have less work at the end. Number two, just because the light is green doesn't mean you should go through that intersection yet. When they say the roads are closed, they mean the roads are closed. Help a brother out. It's really wise for you to get a good truck when you move to Fargo. You'll find it helpful during cleanup week. That's a holiday at my house. Number five, those Youth for Christ peaches are the best. Yeah, I I know, if Greg Everett's in the room again from last week, Greg, we love you and Youth for Christ and what you're doing, and we love your peaches, thank you. Um, Now, now I say that to to engage you a little bit, because what we know to be true is that often social media is the worst place for wisdom. It it could be a place where, where it can be dangerous, but there are even in the dangerous spaces opportunities to learn. We learn from our mistakes, we learn from other people's mistakes, and it's good for us to have good insight and good judgment, in my premarital counseling, one of my favorite assignments that I give to couples who are about to be married is to ask their parents a series of questions about wisdom for them as they're getting married. And I do it for two reasons. One, because I often learn some great things from parents who, are, who are, have kids who are being married. And two, I know it's a gift to you parents of kids who are about to be married because you really want to tell them stuff and you're not sure how to tell them. And I found it wise to give you this tool. It's amazing what you can learn. It's amazing what you can learn if you'll spend time with people who are 20 years older or 20 years younger than you. There's something about the generation's perspective that that can help you see different than what you see. And it's good for us to have good sense and proper judgment. And sometimes just getting 20 years distance helps you see it. I remember sharing with my dad one time about a problem I was having and uh, that problem was mostly between my ears and he shared with me the wisdom his dad had shared with him and what I call today a Bundy proverb. Most simply it's this, wherever you go, there you will be. My grandpa had taught my dad that contentment begins in the heart And my dad was trying to teach me his dad's wisdom that contentment begins with the heart. If you're out of sorts here, you'll probably be out of sorts there. You need to get that heart in the right place. Well, friends, we can learn wisdom from a lot of places in our homes, from our family, occasionally on social media. But what I know to be true is that God wants us to be wise. And if we want to be truly wise in the way that God has gifted us wisdom, it'd be really good for us to go to the source. My friend, Pastor Seth, likes to say, if you want to know about life, why don't you start with the guy who made it? And then he opens his Bible, and I think that's really good advice for us. So if you have that Bible that we shared, we're going to jump into Proverbs. And we're going to start at the beginning on page 545, Proverbs chapter 1. We're gonna take advantage of what God has given us. We're gonna see what he has to say about wisdom, and we're gonna remember in this moment that this collection of wisdom, this anthology of sorts, is from a man who had learned from his father. The man who was a man after God's own heart, King David himself, and who when offered anything before a holy God, he said, God, would you give me wisdom? And here, he records his wisdom, things that he's either composed or he's collected that are for the benefit of God's people. And we're going to remember the goals of wisdom. Page 545, listen to these first few verses of Proverbs chapter 1. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. They're for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction and prudent behavior for doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see, God wants you to be wise. He doesn't want you to be a fool. And it begins with the fear of the Lord. Wisdom begins with this acknowledge, acknowledgement of reverence that there is a creator God and we are not him. And that if he is the creator of life and we want to learn how to live life. Well, we should go to him because he knows way more about it than we do. So the first goal of wisdom is that we would orient ourselves properly before a holy God. And that in doing so, so we would begin to understand these insightful words, that, that we would receive instructions in what it means to be prudent. Like my friend shared earlier, there's lots of times where it's really wise to just be quiet. And then there are other times when God in his providential wisdom will invite you to a moment of courageous speaking up. And the Lord invites you into that relationship with him that you could be wise. Solomon collected and composed these words for his children and his grandchildren because he wanted them to live well before the holy God. He knew about God's covenant faithfulness, and he wanted his children to live wisely. As we read in the scriptures, we recognize Solomon's place in the history of revelation, we put things in order and we see that God was faithful to Abraham, to Moses, to David, to Solomon, to the people of Israel, and it was always looking forward to a Messiah who was to come. How much more the wisdom we can gain when we look back through the lens of the Messiah who has come, who is Jesus. Jesus is in fact the very personification of wisdom. <laughs> And he invites us into relationship with him that we would have life and have it to the fullness. And as we read the scriptures, we can see how these things are personified in Jesus and they make us wise. So in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 11, where we're gonna land today, we're gonna spend a few minutes here. It's page 561 in the Bible we handed out. Solomon is asking and answering this question of how, or what is wisdom here? And it's interesting because he's talking about an aspect of relational wisdom. Listen to verse 10 and 11 as I read them together. He writes, Drive out a scoffer, and strife will go out, and quarreling and abuse they will cease. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. Now, when I first read this verse, I thought it was strange to think of it as just a passage on wisdom. But, but in fact, when you look at relationships, there's some tremendous wisdom here. Notice the contrast. Verse 10, the, the, the command is to drive out a scoffer, and the result is that strife will go out, and quarreling will end, and, and abuse will cease. Here's the kind of person that you, as Solomon's sharing with his children who are to inherit the kingdom, you should avoid these kinds of people. These obnoxious and and likely litigious troublemakers. If you want to restore harmony in your relationships, get them away from you and from what we're doing here in the business of God. Friends, the low-hanging fruit here is if if you have opportunity to separate yourself from quarreling and scoffing and abuse, take it and turn to Christ. Christ. And let him speak into that space in your life. Because verse 11 writes, one who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. There's a translation of the Bible called the NET translation. It stands for New English Translation. And and if you look for this, the NET Bible, it explains a lot of their translation uh, reasoning. I love how they translated this verse. They said, the one who loves a pure heart and whose speech is gracious... The king will be his friend. I like how clear the, the two parts and the result are broken down. The one who loves a pure heart and whose speech is gracious, that is the one who the king will want as a friend. The one who loves a pure heart, this has to do with moral and ethical understanding. It, it reflects the type of person who is honest and whose intentions are clear. Like like that compass that's calibrated to true north. The heart of this person is calibrated to God's standards of moral excellence. And who wouldn't want to be friends with somebody who's honest and whose intentions are clear. I know as a parent i long for that in my children and I watch other parents. We long for that in our kids that their hearts are seeking after purity and that their speech is gracious. As a friend, these are the kind of friends we want to be around. Somebody who's wanting to live morally and ethically above reproach, whose speech is gracious. Isn't that the friend you want? As a supervisor, when you're hiring people, these are the people you're looking for when you hire them. Are they gonna do what's right when time gets tough? Are we clear on our intentions with each other? And as a coworker, Goodness, who wouldn't want to work with somebody like that? I know their hearts are pure. I know they're seeking after it. And we're doing that together. This person who's marked by purity of speech and heart becomes the confidant of a good king. As I was reading this, I I, I clicked over to Psalm 15. Because in Psalm 15, David is talking about his relationship with God and I can't help but think of a little boy named Solomon who's listening to his dad pray. Listen to these words. He says, "O oh Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent and who shall dwell in your holy hill? He who's walked blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, he doesn't take up a reproach against his friend." in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt, and he doesn't change. He doesn't put out his money at interest, and he does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. You see, Solomon learned this from his dad. The one with a pure heart and whose speech is gracious, that's who the king will want as his friend. That part, two, whose speech is gracious, it has that idea of pleasant or agreeable. Gracious and kind in the words they share. It's a, it's a commendation of honest intentions and kind words. You know, you might be tempted as you're reading a verse like this to think, well, is this person just kissing up? No because their hearts are calibrated to God, and their speech is seasoned by God himself. In fact, as you jump back to Proverbs chapter one, I stopped at verse seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Verse eight says, hear my son your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and they are pendants for your neck. That word graceful is the same word here as describing that speech. There's something beautiful about the speech of the person who is calibrated to God in a heart that has honest intentions and a mouth that's filled with gracious words. And the result? Well, that person will be the king's friend. And again, I can't help... But thinking a young Solomon, maybe a a teenager, hears his dad pray words like from Psalm 24, who shall ascend the city, the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, this is the one who will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Solomon learned this from his dad and now he's passing it on to his kids because he knows that God wants us to be wise. This isn't the only place that, that Proverbs talks about a pure heart and gracious speech. Proverbs 16, Proverbs 14 say things like righteous lips are the delight of a king and he loves him who speaks what is right. Righteousness exalts a nation but sin is a reproach to any people you remember how I told you Jesus is the personification of wisdom? He says something similar. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Tim Keller rightly explains, the heart is not just the seat of the emotions, but also the source of our fundamental commitments, our hopes, and our trust. And from the heart flow our thinking and our feelings and our actions. In fact, what the heart trusts And what the mind justifies, the emotions, desire, and the will carries out. And this is why Solomon would write later in Proverbs chapter 4, Above all else, guard your heart, because all that you are flows out of it. Well, that leads me to a sobering truth. Honestly, it's a little bit terrifying. And it's this, our mouths reveal where our heart is. Our mouths reveal our hearts. Have you ever said something like I've done and, and, and you immediately thought, where did that come from? Have you ever had that embarrassing moment where it comes out of your mouth and, and it's a moment of, of just devastating reality because in that moment you realize not everything's right in your heart. Your, your mouth just revealed that something is, is dirty in there. Your mouth gave evidence that that God's not done working on you yet. In Matthew 12, Jesus describes how the fruit of a good tree is good, the fruit of a bad tree is bad, and he shares how we'll be judged by the words which reveal the evilness in our heart. Listen to Matthew chapter 12. It says, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything that's good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up to him, but an an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you, listen to these words from Jesus, everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Later in Matthew 15, Jesus is in this discussion. There's these guys who are saying like, look, you're, you're, you're being stained. You're, you're ceremonially unclean because you're eating this food that you're not supposed to eat on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these are the things that defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. These are the things that defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands, (laughs) that doesn't defile a person. Or maybe just as simply as Luke recorded it. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Our hearts reveal that that we're really not pure. But God wants us to be wise. And I think the wisest things we can do is to learn from those who've gone before us. Those who give testimony to guard your heart for from it, everything flows out of you. When your mouth reveals that your heart is impure, recognize who you are before a holy God. Because the story of the Bible is a story of God who created mankind in his image and who is moving first and most and best towards mankind, embracing us in our brokenness and drawing us in towards wholeness in Christ. God is in the business of asking us to do things we could never do apart from him first doing a work in us. We quickly learn that apart from God, our mouths reveal the sad situation of our hearts. Our hearts are broken, and we need a healer. You might remember one of Jesus' early disciples who said, we love because, well, he first loved us. So when you read Proverbs twenty-two, eleven, the one who loves a pure heart and whose speech is gracious, the king will be his friend, and you lean into that a little bit, you start to realize, well, my heart's not quite as pure. And my speech is often not as gracious as God's standard. And apart from God doing a work in me, I can't reach that standard. But friends, I have good news for you because the king of David, the king of Solomon, the king of Israel, the king of kings and Lord of Lord wants to be friends with you. And he made a path for us that's paved with an invitation of trusting him. We know that our hearts are not pure and our speech is not gracious. And God has reached down and said, I have made a way. Will you receive it? Our hearts are dark with the stain of selfishness and pride and all sorts of evil. And sometimes it pops out of our mouths. And yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous. Friends, if you've never trusted Christ, receive this as good news because your mouth reveals where your heart is and your heart is in need of a a healer, of a savior who has come. When you trust Jesus, the debt that was created by your sin is marked paid in full. When you trust in Jesus, that dark stain that covers your heart is washed clean. That same John would say, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us from all unrighteousness. In Christ, we can be made clean. And so the most wise thing you can do is to recognize your need for a savior and cast yourself upon him, knowing that he cares for you. Like a drowning man in need of a life preserver, humble yourself. And grab on to the rescue, which is yours in Christ. And for those of us who are in Christ and and who've experienced this newness of relation, who are walking by faith and not by sight, when we read something like the one who loves a pure heart and whose speech is gracious, may we remember that in Christ we really are the King's friend. And by the power of His Spirit working in us and willing through us that our hearts and our mouths are increasingly aligned with his heart. And in his kindness, the text says that he disciplines those he loves. There'll be moments in our lives where where our hearts will be revealed by our mouths. Something will pop out and remind us, oh yeah, God's not done yet. And it's an invitation to greater wisdom. It's an invitation to to, to seek the Lord for His wisdom, to cry out to Him in confession and repentance. In James, James is very clear that, that, that we are to cry out to God for wisdom, James chapter one verse five, because God gives generously to all. God loves pouring out His wisdom for you, my brothers and sisters. He wants to make you wise. Will you receive it? And as you receive it, may you not become prideful. Because like David and Solomon and all who have gone before us, except for the perfect Savior who is Jesus, our mouths are going to reveal that our hearts aren't done. James chapter 4 says, God gives grace upon grace. He opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. So maybe this morning, as I'm saying this, you can relate to my situation this week where where I just really blew it. Friend, if you've blown it, listen to what James 4 says. He says, Then submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God. Don't allow your shame or your guilt to cause you to hide like that couple in the Garden of Eden who tried to cover themselves with insufficient cover because of the shame that they felt. But lean in and draw near to God. Wash your hands, James says, you sinners and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail, and change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord because... He will lift you up. Friends, your mouth is going to give away your heart. And when it does, turn back to repentance. Turn back to God. Cry out to him for wisdom. Confess and grieve and mourn and humble yourself. Relationally, sometimes that's going to take some work on our parts. So we're going to have to go back to someone and say, I blew it. My, my mouth, tr- it spoke for my heart. I'm not, I'm not done yet. <laughs> and God has led me to say, I'm, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? There's some work that he needs to do in me. Friends, if your mouth is revealing grievous things about your heart, turn to Jesus, because God wants to make you wise. As we began in our relationship with God by grace through faith, so we continue. We recognize our need for his grace. We trust him to do in and through us what only he can do. And then we step out by faith, knowing that God is gonna show up again and again and again. And it's often in a path of humble, obedience. Well, friends, I want to give you a chance this week to explore with me this idea of wisdom. We often summarize our messages with a one thing idea and and I don't know how many of you practice this, but I I thought it would be fun this week to engage you in a little bit of a similar exercise. Now, I don't encourage you to go to social media for all of your wisdom. God's given us sufficient wisdom here. And I do want to encourage you to engage your circle of influence with the concept of wisdom. Because I think we have a unique opportunity in this time and place. In a culture that's so divided. In a time when everybody wants to go to the edges. What we know is true is that if we don't center ourselves and us on the person of Jesus, we're going to find ourselves in the ditches. And for us to do that really well, it's going to take wisdom. And I want to encourage you this week. Some of you, maybe you haven't done this in a long time. Ask somebody what they think wisdom is. And engage the conversation. Because the more of us who are talking about what it means to live wisely, the better opportunity we have to embrace some of those kingdom values together. And to see a beautiful reality here of what God has done. Well, friends, I hope I've wet your appetite. I hope I've convinced you that God wants you to be wise. I hope you've heard from me a clarity of thought that when your mouth reveals that your heart isn't yet where you want it to be, that you'll turn to Jesus and believe what he says is true about you, just like we sung, that when you confess and you believe that he makes you clean. That when you confess and believe, you're no longer held to the penalty of your sin, but you are embraced as a friend of the King. And what person wouldn't want that kind of friend? One who is striving after a pure heart and gracious speech. That's who we want to be as the people of God. Will you stand as I conclude our time together? I want to pray us out. And I want to pray today... I hope you hear my heart of celebration. I look around Bethel Church and I see some remarkable things happening. And I hope that you're connecting with us in community somehow. And if you're not, raise your hand, reach out, find somebody, talk to somebody and say, hey, how do I get connected around here? Because friends, it's remarkable what we can accomplish together. Let's pray that way. Heavenly Father, thank you that we've been able to gather in worship and worship through singing and reading of the scripture, through teaching and through prayer. God, thank you that we can come to you as your people and we can lift our praises to you. Lord, we do that with a sense of security and safety that's not enjoyed by everyone around the world today. And so we thank you for that and we pray that you would strengthen our brothers and sisters whose lives are in danger just for doing what we've done this last hour. God, we thank you for the many generations who are represented here. As I say something like, find somebody 20 years, you're different. We can do that here and we give you praise. God, thank you for our Encore team that traveled together for their safe travels and their good health, for the new friendships that were made and and these lifetime friends who could celebrate being together. Lord, we've missed being together these last few years, and we thank you for our youth who have been able to gather with other youth groups this summer, and and we ask that you would lead our student pastor search team in wisdom and grace. God, we thank you for these leaders like Jason and others who have stepped forward to, to believe you and to start a new work in Kindred. We pray that you would continue to give them favor. God, we thank you for a community that seems increasingly receptive to the good news of Jesus. And yet also, Father, we pray that you would give us courage to speak the good news of Jesus as we walk by faith in what is equally at times seemingly hostile. God, thank you for other churches who join with us in magnifying your name and seeking to multiply the good news of Jesus in this region. We thank you, God, for your spirit who lives and dwells within us. We pray that you would meet us again and that, Lord, you would truly make us wise. Father, as we leave this place, we ask that you would go before us. That, God, when our mouths reveal the condition of our heart, we would not run to hide, but we would run to our Heavenly Father. And receive from you the grace which you offer us again and again and again. We praise you for that grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, have a wonderful week serving the Lord.